It's so good to be with you all again tonight. And if you're joining us online for the first time, I just wanna say a special welcome to you and encourage you to fill out a connect card. And that's attached to this video. So go ahead and click that link and fill out that card. And that's not so we can spam you, but instead just so we can build a relationship with you. And if you're a Kyle Alpha student and you're back tonight, I just wanna say that I miss seeing your faces, but I'm so glad that God has given us this opportunity to connect together online. I thought last week was an incredible experience and I'm so glad to get to do it again. For those of you who are not college students who are tuning in, I just wanna say thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're tuning in because actually this fall we're planting a new church in the Cedar Valley, so the Cedar Falls, Waterloo area. And we're excited about the fact that our community is gonna broaden out to include all generations. And we're really praying right now that God would bring us some adults that aren't college students, some children, people of all ages to be a part of our church. So if that's something that interests you, go to our website, it's attached to the video, and click join the team and give us your information so we can connect with you. Uh, the name of the church is Sent Church, and the idea of Sent Church is that Jesus has sent us to the Cedar Valley to bring the hope of the gospel to our friends. We don't believe that, that we just chose to come here ourselves, but instead that Jesus has sent us, he's went before us. And it comes from John chapter 20, verse 21, where Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So we really believe that verse and we believe that Jesus has sent us here. So go ahead and check out the website and we'd love for you to be a part. Five years ago, I became the director of Kyle here at UNI. And to be honest with you, I was full of faith. I was super excited and passionate, but I had no idea of what I was doing. I was completely in over my head. And in the beginning, I really let my passion drive me. I kind of just, just wrote off my passion and I didn't really get into all the minor details of what it took to lead a ministry. And one of the things I had to do in that first year was raise my own support. So I had to raise money for both Chi Alpha and for my personal support to take care of my family. And at first it didn't phase me too much, but around the time of our winter conference in that January of 2016, I remember just becoming overwhelmed by the task before me. I was 22 years old, I was newly married, I was leading 50 to 60 college students, and I had to raise money from family, friends, and pastors who intimidated me like crazy. So if you're a pastor watching, just know you scared me, okay? And I was so nervous to go and ask pastors to or to support our ministry. I just felt completely overwhelmed. And I remember there was a time during that conference, it was during worship, as the song Broken Vessels was playing. And I remember Jesus gave me a vision of him. I got this clear picture in my mind where I saw Jesus with his eyes full of fire. It was really an interesting image. And this is what I wrote in my journal that day. It says this, during worship, I got a picture of Jesus with flames for pupils and fire in his eyes. I felt like he was or speaking to me saying, I'm here and you don't need to fear anything when I'm on your side. So a very simple message, but that vision of Jesus absolutely changed me. I felt, like Jesus, I felt like Jesus was telling me that he is passionate about me and he had me in his hand. He was telling me that he is powerful and capable of helping me through the things that I was doing at the time, of helping me figure out how to lead Chi Alpha and how to raise money. I felt like he was saying, I care about you, Daniel. And at the same time, I have the power to do something about, or to do something about your situation. I realized that Jesus was not disinterested in my struggles, but he wanted to help me through the struggles. That picture of Jesus absolutely transformed me and it changed the course of the rest of that semester. I share this to say that 
I believe one vision of Jesus and who he really is can change us forever. Tonight, we all come in here with struggles and concerns. As many of the things we count on have been shaken over the last couple of weeks. I feel like some of us have lost our peace and we feel very uncertain in these days. Just a couple of weeks ago, most of us were confident about our health, confident about the health of our loved ones. And now we're concerned about those who are high risk, who we love. We're concerned that the virus is going to affect them or perhaps affect us. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were, uh, were moving along with our educations, confident that our educations would continue. And we had faith in the educational system that it would continue on. And now some of us who are in school are deeply concerned about the future of our education and what's going to happen this fall. Just a couple of weeks ago, our economy was one of the, or was in one of the best places it's ever been and the job market was roaring. And if you're about to graduate college, you knew you would probably get a job because the market was that good. Now here we are and a lot of people have lost their jobs and people who are graduating don't have confidence that they'll get a job this summer. The point I'm making is this virus has shaken many of the things we trust in. It's revealed that so many of the things we trust in are actually very fragile. We feel like they're firm, we feel like they're stable, but they're actually super fragile. That's something we've realized in these last few weeks. And the shaking of these things we've relied on has created some struggles in our spirits, some, there's some lack of peace in our spirits, some uncertainty, some fear. And there's many of us tonight who have struggles that aren't even directly tied with the virus. There's some of us who are struggling with our friends or with our loved ones. We're having relational strife right now. There's others who are feeling shame for the way we've been living lately. And we feel like we've fallen too far for God's love. There's some of us who are walking around with bitterness in our spirits and it's killing us on the inside. There's some of us who our grades are not, are not looking too good and we're nervous about what's gonna happen this semester. The point I'm making is we all come in here tonight with struggles and many of the things we put our trust in have been shaken. And I believe that if that's you, that Jesus has a word for you tonight. He wants us to know that even in the midst of the struggles, even in the midst of the uncertainty, even when the world around us is crashing and it's fragile and the systems we've trusted in are proving not to be trustworthy, Jesus is saying we can trust in him. He is the trustworthy one. He's saying, you can place all your hope, all your weight in me and I can hold it. That's what Jesus is saying, uh, or saying to us tonight. Jesus wants to give us an internal confidence that is not dictated by our external circumstances. Jesus is calling us to trust him no matter what's going on around us, even in this crisis moment. But for us to be able to trust him, we have to realize tonight that he is trustworthy. And when we get that in our spirits, that he is trustworthy, we're gonna be able to do some amazing things. We're gonna be able to have faith in the midst of fear, to have peace in the midst of the storm. Jesus is going to enable us to have certainty in the midst of uncertainty. He's going to enable us to use terrible things like this crisis moment as a catalyst for us to get serious about our faith and to really pursue him like we never have before. He's gonna give us the courage we need to rise up in this hour and engage the world with his love. And he's gonna help us get our priorities straight. That's what happens when we get all of our trust in him and we see that he is trustworthy. So tonight the sermon is called, This is Jesus. This is Jesus. I spent a lot of time in prayer this week. I didn't know 
if we were gonna continue this series from last week, I thought last week might just be one sermon, but I felt like the Lord was saying, Daniel, I have something else to say about this is our moment. And I went to prayer and I felt like the Lord was leading me to, or to Revelation chapter two, but as I was turning to, or to that chapter, I stumbled across chapter one and I realized that God had something to say through an obscure passage. Actually, this passage is a vision of Jesus that John gets. And it's really, really strange. I'm excited to read it with you. But, but Jesus gave me uh, just a word for you tonight through that passage. So turn with me to, or to Revelation chapter one. This book is often thought of as a book that just predicts the end times. That's usually what we think about it. And I'm telling you, there are some people who are just getting really into it right now. They're like, the coronavirus is here. It's the end times. Get ready. And maybe it is. You know, Jesus said to be ready at any moment. But that's not the only purpose of Revelation. That's not the only purpose. And I wouldn't even say it's the primary purpose. The primary purpose of the book of Revelation is to give the persecuted church faith to give them courage to stand down the mightiest foes and say, my trust is in Jesus. He is going to be victorious. He's gonna set everything right. And in the first couple of chapters, Jesus writes some letters to seven churches that existed at the time of the writing of this book. And he gives them encouragements and rebukes on how to stay on track in their faith. But before we get to those letters, John gets a vision of Jesus and it's a very strange vision. But John places this vision at the beginning of the book for a very strategic reason. John knew that before he could get into all the encouragements for the persecuted church, before he could you know, give them advice on how to stay strong in the midst of fear, he knew that they needed to see who Jesus was. And they needed to be reminded that Jesus is trustworthy, that Jesus is a king who you can put all your weight on. John strategically places this vision at the beginning of the book. And it's gonna give us some courage tonight. I believe that as we see Jesus in all his splendor and glory and power and love, it's gonna give us the courage we need to stand strong in the face of this crisis and to do the things that God has called us to do. So as we work through this vision, I wanna encourage you. John's gonna describe Jesus in some weird ways. And, and something you need to know is that John is not just stating facts about Jesus's appearance. He's telling us things about Jesus' character through Jesus' appearance, okay? So we're gonna read it. But before we do, I wanna give you the main idea. Uh, the main idea tonight is this. Jesus is worthy of our trust. Jesus is worthy of our trust. Okay, very simple point, but I think we need to get that in our spirits tonight. But before we jump into the text, I wanna pray because this is gonna be a supernatural sermon. For this sermon to be powerful, Jesus is gonna to have to do something in our hearts. Okay, so let's pray and ask him to do that. Jesus, tonight I pray that just as you did with the apostle John, that you would give us a vision of who you are. God, we need a vision of you. We need to see you for who you are tonight. Jesus, reveal yourself to us in all your power and glory and love and wisdom. Reveal yourself tonight to us. Make this sermon not an intellectual exercise, but a demonstration of the spirit and of your power. God, we need it tonight. We need it in 2020. We need a revelation tonight, Jesus. In your name, amen. All right, verse 12, John says this. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, there's one like a son of man. And he was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash that that hung around his chest. So the lampstands are the seven churches that Jesus is about to address. And then the son of man is Jesus. Verse 14, the hairs of his head are like white and like white wool, like snow. 
Okay, so the first point tonight is this. We can trust Jesus because he is wise. We can trust Jesus because he's wise. The first thing that John wants to tell us about Jesus is he is wise. He explains that his hair is white, which signifies old age, the dignity of age and the wisdom of experience. Jesus has always been, and he always will be. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And he has all the wisdom in the universe. In John's gospel, in chapter one, verse one through three, he says this about Jesus. He's gonna say something about the word, okay? And the word is Jesus. It says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was here in the beginning and he made everything. He has ultimate wisdom, both because of who he is and his character, but also because he's been around forever. The word that the authors of the New Testament use in the Greek language for wisdom is Sophia, Sophia. And Sophia means broad and full of intelligence and a knowledge of very diverse matters. Okay, so Jesus has a broad, full intelligence and he has knowledge of a very diverse matters. Jesus is supremely intelligent. He knows everything about everything. Paul says it this way. It's almost like a, or like a song of praise in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable, inscrutable are his ways. Paul here in Romans and John in Revelation are telling us that Jesus has all the wisdom in the world. And if we're gonna be strong in the midst of trials, we need to know that he is the wise one. He is the wisest one who's ever lived. Just last week, Emily and I were watching This Is Us, the finale. We didn't catch it on Tuesday night because we had Chi Alpha. So I hope you're not skipping Chi Alpha for a show. But, but the next day we watched it and I won't give it all away, but there's this moment in the show where they're having their kid's first birthday. They have triplets, okay? Uh, two blood children, one adopted because they lost one of their triplets when they gave birth. And at the very beginning of the show, back a couple years ago, uh, they show us a scene where the doctor who delivered the children gives Jack, who's the main character, uh, some wisdom about how to move forward after losing his child. And at this first birthday, uh, the wife, Rebecca, is very sad about the child that they've lost. She, it's, it's supposed to be a joyous moment. It's supposed to be a celebration as they're celebrating their three children, but she's thinking about the one she lost. And Jack, trying to be a good husband and a good dad, says, hey, I gotta try to help her out here. So he takes her and the three kids to that doctor again. Dr. K is his name. He's an old guy and, and he goes and sees him in his office. And essentially he comes there and says, hey, give me some more wisdom. Give me some more encouragement. And as a viewer, you're sitting there because you know this doctor, he's amazing. Like he's got experience. He's full of love. He's full of wisdom. And you're just ready for the wisdom he's gonna give you. And I'm not gonna share the wisdom because I encourage you to watch the show. But the point is, in that moment, the doctor gives this incredible piece of advice. And he just gives you like this piece. Like I was sitting there crying. I always cry and this is us. And I was just having a moment like, wow, this is good stuff. And it's true. It's true what he said. So I share that to say that, that there's people in our lives who we look to like that doctor, who we know they have wisdom. We know we can go to them and that they're gonna have the right thing to say at the right time. And the beautiful thing is Jesus is way better than that doctor. He's or Jesus is way better than the wisest person you know. He has all the wisdom of the earth. He, or Jesus is like that doctor where you can go to him at any moment, at any time, and he'll know what to say to you. 
His wisdom should cause us to throw our trust in him, to know that he's worthy of our trust. It should cause us to stop trusting in the things of the world, but to fully trust him with everything. In this crisis moment, many of us don't know what to do. We're kind of at a loss. And dealing with this crisis is above our pay grade. Let's be honest about it. We don't know what we're doing. And tonight, I think Jesus wants us to realize that he is capable of handling the situation. No matter what you're going through, he is capable. And he's capable of giving you wisdom. So James 1.5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. If we're gonna place our trust in Jesus tonight, we need to know that he is wise and we can go to him. He is trustworthy. Okay, but John continues on in verse 14. He says, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His eyes were like a flame of fire. So like that image I got in 2016. The second point tonight is this. We can trust Jesus because he sees everything. His eyes see everything, but he is still full of passion. Jesus has seen the worst and the best of humanity. He's seen everything about you, everything about me, and yet he's still full of love and passion. So let's get more personal. Jesus has seen everything about you. He knows your best days, your worst days, and yet he still has fire in his eyes for you. He still loves you. He sees all the junk and he still loves you. I love this image. This image conjures up a lot of emotions and commentators differ on what it means. Some say that it means that he has energy and passion. Uh, Some say it just means that he sees clearly. Some say that it means he can cut through our facades. I think it means all these things. I think it tells us that he knows everything about us. He knows everything about the world, the good and the bad. And yet he's still full of fire. He's still full of passion. That's what I wanna be like when I get to the end of my days. I wanna still be full of fire and passion, even though I've seen the worst and the best of the world. And that's what Jesus is like. Although he sees everything, he is not jaded. Jesus is not cynical. If you're cynical tonight, just look to Jesus. He's been here forever. He's seen everything and he's still not cynical. He still has that same love that he had at first. He has fire in his heart. And tonight I believe that Jesus wants to encourage us and say, don't you dare get cynical. Don't you dare get jaded. Keep that love, keep that fire burning in your heart. To think that Jesus has been able to see the worst parts of me and the best parts of me and the the best parts of the world and the worst parts of the world and still love us to the point that he came and died up on a tree for us just absolutely blows my mind. Think about how easy we give up when things get tough. Think about how quickly we lose our passion how quickly we give up on people. To think that God sees the depths of our sin and yet he still gave his life for us just makes me respect and love Jesus so much more. Jesus is a king worth following. He has not given up hope. He has not allowed his fire to go out. He's not distant. He's not a far off God. His love for us does not wane, but he is a God who yearns for us. He's a God who gets jealous for us. He's a God who loves us even in our mess, who came all the way to earth to die for us so we could live. When I was 19, I was struggling with some theological thoughts. I was trying to understand who God is. And specifically what I was struggling with was the question of why do some people experience God's love and give their heart to him and go to heaven, but then others just don't seem to experience God's love and go to heaven and say they go to hell. I just couldn't understand, God, why don't you just wake up everybody? Why don't you just encounter every single person. Obviously there's free will and all that, but I was kind of wrestling through that. 
And it was just tearing me up inside. Like, God, like you love people so much. How are some people going to hell? And it was just ripping me up on the inside. I remember going to Kyle that night because I played drums on the worship team. This is in 2011. And I was wrestling with it. I was just carrying it. And the vocalist pulled me aside. She was a few years older than me, very wise, very prophetic. She pulled me aside and she looks me in the eyes. And she says, Daniel, God has told me something about you. And she says, Daniel, God has said that that for some reason you're really wrestling with why some people go to heaven and why some people go to hell. And tonight he just wants to tell you to stop worrying about it and to trust him and to know that he is love, that he is good and you can trust him. And guys, I got so wrecked in that moment. And not because the word was that crazy. All she said is don't think about it essentially. But I got wrecked because I realized that God saw the deepest parts of my heart, that God knew what I was going through. That he cares so much about me that he sent Kathy to talk to me that night. And I wept before the Lord that night during worship practice. I don't even think I practiced. You can ask Jonathan Bartholo. I think I just cried that night because I was so wrecked by God's love. I was so wrecked that he saw through all my facades. I was trying to put on a good face for the worship team, but he saw right through it and he still loved me. Tonight, you need to know that Jesus is not disinterested in your struggles. He knows your deepest fears that keep you up at night. And he knows your greatest dreams that get you excited and full of joy. He knows your biggest struggles and your best virtues. He knows you on your bad days and your good days. He knows the best of us and the worst of us. And yet he still loves us and he still died on a cross for us. During this crisis moment, we need to know that he is not disengaged. He knows what's going on. He's still on his throne and he wants us to trust him. And we need to know that as we trust him, he can give us his heart too. He can give us his fire and passion. Because some of us, if we're being honest right now, we're feeling depressed and we're feeling unmotivated. We're not reading our Bibles. We're not spending time with the Lord. We're just not feeling the passion we had when we could gather as a community. And tonight, Jesus wants to put that fire in your heart again and say, don't you dare get cynical. Don't you dare get jaded. The fire of God is available for every single one of us. All right, John goes on though. In verse 15 and 16, he says, His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Crazy stuff. Crazy, crazy stuff. All right, so so what could I possibly get out of this? All right, third point. We can trust Jesus because he's strong and he's in control. John says that Jesus' feet are like burnished bronze, which suggests that he crushes his opponents that he is stable and secure. He doesn't have Tom's shoes on. He's got some big old bronze boots, all right? Some burnished bronze feet. And he says his voice is like the roar of many waters. Like, you know that sound of crashing waves when you're at the ocean? That sound, that's what God's voice is like. And it suggests that he's authoritative, that he is awesome and awe-inspiring. And not only that, but in his right hand, he holds seven stars. And that sounds cool in itself, but what does the seven stars mean? The seven stars stand for the angels of those seven churches. So what John is trying to say is, hey churches, even though you're about to get rebuked big time and Jesus is kind of disappointed in some of the things you're doing, he still holds you in his hand. He still loves you. He's still in control. He's still got you. Even though you messed up, he still has you. It tells us that although we have defects as followers of Jesus, Jesus does not give up on us. He does not abandon us. He continues to hold us in his right hand. He will not let us fall out of his hand. Jesus is the undefeated one and he has burnished bronze for feet. His voice roars like the waves and he holds stars in his hands. He will not be defeated. And when we lean into him and trust him, we can know that as his people, we're safe and secure. 
Uh, one of the things I love about movies and books and stories in our culture is a lot of times some of the best characters in these stories will have uh, some different qualities that are similar to Jesus' qualities because Jesus is the greatest human ever. So the heroes in these stories will oftentimes look a little bit like Jesus. And, and one of my favorite stories is Harry Potter. Okay, so if you don't like Harry Potter, that's totally fine. You can just skip this. But, but Harry Potter, in this story, we see that both Harry and Dumbledore are very similar to Jesus in some ways. And I wanna talk about Dumbledore for a second. So I'm sure many of you are aware of Dumbledore and the fact that he's the greatest wizard who's ever lived according to the books, right? Not in real life, okay? There's no wizards in real life. But in Harry Potter's world, he's the greatest wizard. He's strong. He's the headmaster of Harry's school. And even as the evil wizard in the story, Voldemort, gets more powerful, there's a sense of confidence in both the characters and the readers as we read the story because Dumbledore's still alive. As long as Dumbledore is alive, we have confidence because we know Voldemort is scared of Dumbledore. That's said over and over again. That, hey, Voldemort would take anyone on besides Dumbledore. He's scared of him. And there's a sense of peace and confidence when Dumbledore is still alive. He gives us the sense of safety and he gives the characters a sense of safety. But then when he dies in the sixth book, which if that's a spoiler for you, I'm sorry. You should have read it already. It came out a long time ago. But remember when he dies, or the only reason he dies is because he allows himself to be killed for the or for the greater good. He doesn't actually get killed, but he gives his life up. And it's very similar to Jesus. Just like Dumbledore, Jesus cannot be beaten unless he decides himself to be beaten. The one time he appears to be beaten is on the cross when he lays down his life. But in John 10, it says that Jesus lays down his life on his own accord. Nobody made him lay down his life. So Jesus' defeat in laying down his life actually leads to victory. It's the same thing with Dumbledore. Him laying down his life actually leads to victory. And the same thing happens with Harry too. But the point is, God is like Dumbledore in that sense. Jesus is like Dumbledore. He is always in control. He cannot be beaten. If he lays down his life, he does it on his own accord. And Jesus is a safe place to put your trust. He is all powerful. He's strong. You may not feel strong in this moment, but you can know that Jesus is steady, that he's secure and that he's on his throne. He's not falling off his throne. Okay, no crisis is gonna make him wane. He's still strong. All right, verse 16 continues. It says, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. The fourth point tonight is this. We can trust Jesus because he has given us his word. This sharp two-edged sword seems to be talking about the word of God because it's coming out of his mouth, which would suggest words, but also because in the book of Hebrews, the writer, the writer refers to the word of God as a double-edged sword. So John is saying that his scriptures are like a double-edged sword coming out of the mouth of Jesus. So uh, let's read Hebrews 4, 12. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is living and active. It cuts through our facades. It searches our hearts. It reveals the deepest parts of us and what's going on in there. And when Jesus left earth, he gave us both the Holy Spirit and his word to guide us each and every day, especially in uncertain times. John wants us to know that Jesus can get us through our hard times because he has given us his holy word and his word is trustworthy and capable of helping us get through. His word shows us who God is. It shows us truth and it shows us who we are. His word actually reads us as we read it and it convicts us. In this crisis moment, you're tempted to consume social media. Like my screen time, I'm telling you, it's like, 
Ooh, going way up, right? You're, you're tempted to consume it for a couple of reasons. One, you wanna feel connected. Two, you're trying to numb your boredom and you're trying to see what your friends are saying. Also, we're tempted to consume the news. We're always looking at the news, trying to see the good news, see if there's good news, but also because we can't turn away from the bad news, we have to see what's going on, right? And then also we're tempted to binge Netflix because we don't know what to do with our time. I wanna encourage you. you our social media is fine and Netflix in moderation, but in this time, I encourage you to binge the word of God, to consume the word of God, to read it and to let it read you. If there's any time you need to read God's words, if you need that, that two-edged sword coming out of Jesus' mouth, you need it now. We need the word of God to have its way in our life. So every day I wanna challenge you, get up early, read the word, consume it, pray through it, let it search you and change you. The word of God is living and active and it wants to do work on our hearts, but we have to open the word to, or to see that happen, okay? All right, there's one more thing that John is telling us about Jesus in verse 16. It says this, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. I love that image. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. All right, I'm ready for this one. We can trust Jesus because he is constant. He's constant like the sun. His light never goes out. I love this idea of Jesus' face or shining like the sun in full strength. His face doesn't dim. It's not dejected. It's not depressed. It's not shifting. It's not you know, shining based upon the time of day or what's going on in the world, but it is always shining in full strength. We need to know that Jesus is trustworthy because he's constant. He always comes through. You can rely upon him. He's faithful. In Psalm 46, one through two, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. We need to know that even when the earth gives way, that Jesus is, a, or Jesus is a steady rock who we can lean on. And no matter what's going on around us, he's consistent and steady. Jesus is like the, or Jesus is like the shining sun that, that never goes down. It's never dimmed. It's never blocked by the clouds. It's not phased by our circumstances. In this crisis moment, we need to remember who our God is. He is constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And like Jesus, we need to not be tossed around to and fro by what's going on in the news and in the world. Instead, we need to be steady and constant, shining like the sun. I think of the passage in Matthew chapter five, where Jesus calls us to shine like a city on the hill. That's what we're called to do in this hour, to be a bright shining light in the midst of darkness while we're tempted to, to slide into despair and depression, we need to know that the undefeated one is not faced and he can help us to not be faced in this hour. All right, the main idea tonight is this. Jesus is worthy of our trust. Jesus is worthy of our trust. Tonight, I said this at the beginning, but I believe that Jesus wants to give you a fresh, a fresh revelation of who he is, a fresh revelation of his love, a fresh revelation of his power and his steadiness. As we discussed last week, this, Christ, this crisis moment has revealed that, that, for, that for many of us, we place too much of our trust in the wrong things. Some of you have had jobs taken away. Some have had school taken away. Some have had commencement taken away. Now for all of us, we've had church taken away in terms of gathering together physically. And the list goes on and on. We've lost a lot in these last few weeks. 
And I want you to know that Jesus feels your pain. He's with you right now. He sees what you're going through. He's not mad at you for being sad about those things. He totally gets it. Jesus gives us good gifts for us to enjoy. And he is sad when those gifts are taken away. But at the same time, Jesus does not want us to place our trust in anything other than him. And I believe if anything, this virus is an opportunity for us to place our trust in the right place, in Jesus, in the only place that that can hold our trust. These other things are not capable of holding your trust. They're too fragile. Even the most solid systems in our world, we've realized they're not actually that solid. One little virus can make everything go crazy. Tonight, you need to know that that you can't place your hope in anything in this world other than Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can hold you up. Tonight, you may be watching at home and you're wondering, can I actually trust Jesus? And maybe you feel like he's failed you in the past. I just felt that as I was writing the sermon, that, that somebody feels that way that's watching, like that Jesus has failed you in the past. Or maybe you were taught to fend for yourself. You felt like, If you're gonna get anywhere in life, it's all on you. You can't rely on other people. You can't rely on God. And you can't even fathom throwing all your trust in somebody else because you've been the one who's gotten you through. You feel like that. I pray tonight that that you'd realize who Jesus is and realize that he is worthy of your trust. It doesn't mean that there's gonna be no troubles that come. Jesus promised us troubles. He said, he said we're gonna face troubles, but to take heart because he's overcome the world. Our hope is not in our momentary circumstances and if we face troubles here, but it's in the fact that that Jesus is eternal and if we put our trust in him, we'll be with him forever, which actually leads me to the next two verses in Revelation, verse 17 and 18. It says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and a living one. I died. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. The main reason, although all these other reasons are important, don't you forget them, but the main reason you need to place your trust in Jesus or or the main reason that he's worthy of your trust is because he died and he rose again. We can trust Jesus because he died and rose again. Even though we've all sinned against God and we deserve to be dead, just as John says here, he, he falls over in despair and he feels like he's dead, although we deserve that because of our sins. Because each of us have sinned and, and we've fallen short. God doesn't leave us that way. He doesn't or just leave us to die. Instead, he tells us, fear not. He says, fear not. And why can he say fear not? He can say it because Jesus already bore our punishment on the cross. The biggest thing we should fear is punishment for our sins and separation from God. And Jesus already stood in the way of our punishment and he absorbed it all on himself on the cross. It says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what Romans 6, 23 says. That's the free gift of God, Jesus paying the wage for us. He bore our punishment, but not just that. He didn't just bear our punishment. He went into the grave And then he came up out of it. And he showed us something that each of us need to know in this hour, that death does not have the final word. Death does not have the final word. Jesus holds the keys to death in Hades. He holds the keys. He's defeated death. And if you put your trust in this Jesus, it says that at the last day, he'll raise you up to live with him forever. Eternal life with God. 
That's the promise for us if we trust Jesus. So tonight, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. Jesus wants relationship with you. He wants to be with you forever, but to have relationship with him, we have to trust him and get our sins paid for tonight. So if that's you, I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I just wanna pray for you. And all you gotta do to be saved is just put your trust in him. It's a simple thing saying, Jesus, I repent of my sins and I put my trust in you. So let's just pray for that. Jesus, tonight, we just come to you. And God, there's some of us who if we're very honest with ourselves, we're not in right relationship with you. And God, tonight we need you to bring us into relationship with you. And, to, and tonight we recognize that the only way we can do that is to put our faith and our trust in you. To confess that you are Lord and to believe in your heart or to believe in our hearts that you raised Jesus from the dead. So tonight we confess that you are Lord and we believe that you were raised from the dead. And God, I pray right now, all across the state, all across the country, that you would just make new creations in our living rooms, in our bedrooms, that, that you would change hearts tonight, Jesus. We thank you for that. And there's one more way to respond. If you're in here tonight or watching online and you're a Christian, but, but tonight you just realize I've been placing my trust in the wrong places. And tonight I need to put all my weight into Jesus, all my weight into him. I wanna pray for you. And I'm praying along with you guys. That's what God's been speaking to me. This sermon's a sermon that he's already been preaching to me. So I'm gonna put my trust in Jesus as you do. Okay, so let's pray together. Jesus, we place our trust in so many things. We place our trust in our careers and our education and, and our friends and family and all these other places. But God, tonight, we just wanna proclaim that you're the only safe place to put our trust. You're the only rock solid foundation that we can lean on. And tonight we throw all of our trust into you. We throw all of our weight into you. And God, we say, you're gonna be the one who carries us through. The God who has fire in his eyes, the God who has burnished bronze feet, the God who's, or whose voice roars like many waters, the God who has a sword coming out of his mouth. This is the God we're trusting in, Jesus Christ. So tonight, Jesus, we put our weight and our trust into you. And God, tonight we say we love you and we thank you for who you are and that you died for us. Pray all this in your name, amen. All right, guys, well, thank you so much for joining us online. There's some links attached to the video for you to respond. So if you need prayer, fill out that prayer form and we'll get in touch with you. Guys, we're believing that God wants to just do some amazing things over these next few weeks. So engage with us, go to small groups, come to morning prayer, lean in, because God's got big things for us. All right, guys, love you so much, and I'll see you next week.